we developed it in the first wave from the transit from the transition period. Um, so this is when the cow has a lot of challenges because the lactation is starting. Um, immune response is very high because uh, she has the risk of getting a mastitis or mitritis. Um, another thing is that the dry matter intake is very low. So the, the intake of energy and as well of uh, nutrients like sugar is very low. So there is a conflict of what the cow needs in this time and what she can take in with, with a typical diet. And another problem with sugars or with carbohydrates, which is the yeah the group of where sugar is um, included, is that most of the carbohydrates are fermented in the rumen by the microbes. So at the small intestine, we have very low amounts of glucose available for the cow. So it is known from literature that more than 90% of the glucose demand that the cow has is covered by herself. So it's built and deliver the glucose that she's needing. And glucose is needed, as I said, for example, for the, for the lactation, so for the milk yield, but as well for the immune system. So in this challenging time, it's a very important uh, nutrient. And we want to, to support the cow with more glucose available at a small intestine that she can use for the immune system or for the lactation. And we reach this aim by encapsulation of sugar. A whole new era of communication in the dairy industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global dairy industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Bergen Schmidt, your partner for improving animal performance. DSM Ferminiche. Mycotoxins can threaten cattle performance. DSM Ferminiche offers a portfolio of solutions to help mitigate the impact of mycotoxins in your feed. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Diamond V. Because animal health deserves a healthier approach. Welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global dairy industry. Good day and welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show. I'm Mark Thomas and uh, it's a pleasure today to have Karina Brock with us uh, from Bergen Schmidt. Uh, Karina is coming with us uh, to us from Germany today, a little time difference uh, for both of us. Uh, but we had a little time to, to uh, chat and catch up and I got to know uh, Karina a bit um, before our podcast here. But uh, Karina, can you take the opportunity to introduce yourself to the uh, audience here. Tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from. Uh, you have some interesting uh, research that you've done that we'll get to for, for your PhD, and then uh, a bit of your day-to-day -day role as a species manager for uh, Bergen Schmidt. Sure. So thanks for the invite. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, I'm working since three years now with Bergen Schmidt. Before this, I was at the university in Germany and studied uh, livestock nutrition, especially for ruminants. And I did my PhD in the cows in the transition period about green tea extract supplementation and had uh, yeah, some really nice views of how the green tea can help in this uh, special situation for cows. At Bergen Schmidt, I'm working as a species manager for ruminants. 
That means I'm responsible to take care of all our products that we can offer for ruminants like dairy cows, beef cattle, but also goats and sheep. And we are looking as well in buffaloes and calves. And I'm also looking in the research. So how can we find new products? How can we develop our product portfolio? This is also something very interesting to me because it was a long time at university and I really liked that stuff of working. And um, yeah, the, the great benefit is also to to have a look in, in feeding trials. So when we are having new products, how can we position this at the farm? How can we see what benefits this product bring and uh, yeah, to design all the whole trial and to have it at the end with a good result, hopefully. Excellent, excellent. Your partner in improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. They provide high quality economical feed ingredients for ruminants like their well-researched coated nutrients and fat powders that can support cows with additional available energy, which improves their overall health, productive performance, and your cost efficiency. It sounds like you have uh, many different roles um, within your company. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you approach a feeding trial? Are, are you working um, with commercial dairies within the region or, or do you have a research farm? Uh, you know, what are some of the steps you take? Uh, we all know that having good data is super important to make decisions on what products to use. So really interested to hear how you and your colleagues approach that. Yeah, that's true. We get a lot of questions about the performance of products on different um, farms as well. So we have two different options how we test the products. So on one side, we have the commercial farm trial. So for example, in the last year, I was traveling a lot. I was in Thailand and Vietnam, but also in, in different states in US and as well in Europe and my home region um, to, to have a look at different farms and to see if we can do a trial there. So how is the... Um, the management, so what is the typical diet, what is the animal number, what is uh, yeah, the feeding management as well, and um, if they are suffering from heat stress, for example, or is it a region where it is not a big topic, so then we can choose the right farm for a new product, and then I'm rewriting um, a protocol that the farmer knows what to do, so how to implement the feed in the diet, what type of data I need, so the milk samples, the milk ingredients, but as well maybe some blood measurements. So for example, we have um, an encoded and encapsulated uh, sugar. And for this, we need also blood samples to see the different uh, of BHB levels in blood. Um, this is also something that not is usual in every farm. So we have to, to take care which farm we are choosing for such trials. And um, on the other hand, besides those commercial trials, we have also the opportunity to do university trials that are more well managed. So I would say it's not always realistic what happens because they have a very good management at a research farm. Um, but it's some, you know, some basic stuff that we can find out there. So for example, we can see um, what the fatty acids are doing in milk or what is, we can measure more blood parameters like as well insulin or antioxidative status or something like this. So depending on what our aim is, we have different options of doing trials. And this is also for me very, very great to have, yeah, the whole portfolio from a commercial farm, but also the university staff. Excellent. And and uh, 
Yeah, I really, really like that approach of, um, you know, a pilot trial, if you will, or some of the basic science to see how a product uh, performs or the physiology of that uh, product. Uh, and then moving that to then a commercial aspect farm, you know, larger pens, commercial management and feeding and so forth. So, so that's excellent. Um, uh, so you said uh, uh, protected uh, uh, sugar um, product. Uh, I guess that uh, kind of uh, piqued my interest a little bit there. Can you tell us a little bit more about that as we you know, look for other strategies in, in, in dairy feeding, um, lower starch diets uh, and so forth? Uh, other energy sources. Can you tell us a little bit about that that product and, and where it might fit in uh, for the future? So we developed it in the first way from the transit from the transition period. Um, so this is when the cow has a lot of challenges because the lactation is starting. Um, immune response is very high because uh, she has the risk of getting a mastitis or mitritis. Um, another thing is that the dry matter intake is very low, so the, the intake of energy and as well of uh, nutrients like sugar is very low. So there is a conflict of what the cow needs in this time and what she can take in with, with a typical diet. And another problem with sugars or with carbohydrates, which is the, yeah, the group of where sugar is um, included, is that most of the carbohydrates are fermented in the rumen by the microbes. So at the small intestine, we have very low amounts of glucose available for the cow. So it is known from literature that more than 90% of the glucose demand that the cow has is covered by herself. So it's built and deliver the glucose that she's needing. And glucose is needed, as I said, for example, for the, for the lactation, so for the milk yield, but as well for the immune system. So in this challenging time, it's a very important uh, nutrient. And we want to, to support the cow with more glucose available at a small intestine that she can use for the immune system or for the lactation. And we reach this aim by encapsulation of sugar. So we in Bergenschmidt have the burger fat, which is a fractionated fat with rumen bypass properties. So it can bypass the rumen without any changes in the fat itself, but also without any changes in the microbiota. And this keeps the cow healthy at the end. And by protecting an ingredient with that burger fat, it makes it rumen stable. So any ingredient that we want can bypass the rumen and is then available at a small intestine because the fat is then degraded by enzymes. And so we can reach the, the goal that we can feed more glucose at a small intestine. The cow has more glucose available to use it directly in this time. And besides the transition period, we can also use such a product in heat stress. So there we have nearly the same effects. So because of the heat stress, the cow has a lower dry matter intake. The intake of nutrients is lower than the demand. And so we have here the same gap of nutrients like glucose and the same problems in the end. So therefore, we have this encapsulated product to, to feed directly the cow and um, bypass the rumen. Okay. What are some of your um, early findings from this uh, product uh, based on the research that you have? Yeah, we did some trials, for example, in, in Asia, but as well in US, and we are starting in Europe as well. 
And we saw that if we are feeding that product in the transition period, that the BHB levels in plant are lower. So the BHB is a typical marker for, for ketosis or subclinical ketosis, depending on the level. And you can easily measure it and see then the value. And as long as if, is it, if it is be, uh, below 1.2 millimolar, the cow will not suffer from a, keto, from a subclinical ketosis. And if it's even lower than 0.8, it's also a health benefit. So we measured the blood BHB level after calving and saw that cows that were supplemented with the sugar had lower um, BHB levels. So for example, in the group of, um, of the control animals, we have about 70% that had BHB levels below 0.8. And in the control group, uh, in the supplemented group, sorry, we had about 90% that were that low in BHB level. So we had a really big improvement in health parameters. We had a reduced risk in subclinical ketosis. And what we also saw is an improvement in fertility. So we measured the days from calving to the first estrus and as well the days from calving to the first insemination. And we saw that we were here less than seven to 10 days. So we have less open days at the end because we have an earlier estrus, an earlier insemination and an improvement in getting pregnant again. And then we have less open days, which in the end saves money for the farmer. So to sum up, the farmer saves money with about $290 per case of subclinical ketosis plus $4.5 per open day saved, which is in the end a lot of money for the farmer. Were, uh, were there any differences in milk production? Depending on the farm, actually. We had some where we had an increase. I would say an average increase. We had about 2 kg per cow per day. But it's a bit depending because, as I said, the glucose is not only for the lactation important. It is also important for the immune system. So if the, the farm maybe has from management or from other side other problems, even heat stress, so that the, the immune system is yeah, is more active, then the glucose will be more used in immune, in immune reaction than in uh, building more um, milk. So it's a bit depending. But I would say on average, um, we saw an increase about 2 kg per cow per day. Okay. Karina, um, physiologically, this all makes sense. I, I guess on the, on the other end of, of any potential detrimental or negative effects, you know, the, the cow has adapted to not having this uh, level of glucose in her small intestine. Um, sounds like, you know, obviously you saw benefits, but it, but any any thought or concern of, of the additional uh, sugar being available in terms of bacterial growth or anything of that nature? I guess it's just something you, you think about, you know, maybe more so hindgut fermentation of starch and so forth, but just trying to think that through, you know, we, we want to avoid having starch in the hindgut. You know how this is a, this is an adaptation for the cow, correct? Um, yep, this was also my worries in the beginning when I heard that we wanted to have such a product that maybe the cow cannot uptake all the glucose, and then we will have it in the in the hindgut and will um, breach and or will have an hindgut acidosis. Um, but I had some a little bit look in the literature, and there I saw that there are. Yeah, studies which are using 1 or 1.5 kg of glucose, so not in the diet, but it's using then an apomuscle infusion so that it's really available at a small intestine and there was nothing mentioned about an hinket acidosis. So I guess it's a 
little bit one thing of the dosage. So we are not that high in dosaging. We are feeding about 200 to 400 grams of our products per kg per day. So we are far away from 1.5 kgs. Um, and the other thing is that it's already the glucose. I guess it's easier for absorption in the cow um, as when we have resident starch because the starch has to be enzymatical, um, yeah, degraded and then it can be absorbed because the cow is only, as every mammal is only um, able to, to, uh, to, yeah, to take some single nutrients on, so like the monosaccharides, but not um, a whole starch molecule. That makes sense. Okay, that yeah, that really makes sense. Um, excellent, excellent. So I guess we'll stay tuned for for um, the future opportunities and and, and uh, maybe some new products to come to market uh, with this technology. So Karina, uh, based on uh, reviewing a bit of your background, uh, I found of interest that uh, some of your PhD research or, or your PhD project was uh, related to supplementing a. Uh, green tea extract. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your research and some of the findings uh, uh, with that supplement? Yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, the institute where I um, studied and when I, where I did my PhD was at that time interested in different um, secondary plant extracts on, on their performance, on their effects on, um, yeah, on the health of cows, but as well also swine. And um, in my project, we had the green tea extract, um, which has a special polyphenol. And this polyphenol was known for different, um, yeah, for different actions in, in rats already. And we were now testing, okay, what it, does it do in, in the transition period? The aim was to, to lower the cell stress and to improve the oxidative status of the cows. Um, this was actually not what we could find. But what I found very interesting, we had lower um, fat content in the liver. And it is known that directly after calving, the cow can suffer from the risk of a fatty liver syndrome. And this was something very nice to see that the cows that were supplemented with the green tea extract had less um, fat liver content. Um, yeah, so I thought maybe... Um, this is something which can be continued. So with in general with polyphenols, because we also know that resveratrol from, from grape seed or as well curcuma has a very effect, a very good effect on the oxidative status and as well of the cell stress of animals. Um, but I guess it has to be taken care of the prices of the products. So I'm not sure if a farmer will really feed green tea itself. So this is what we did. I did just uh, put it into concentrate. Maybe this is something um, which can be, for example, as well encapsulated, like we have the technic, so that you can reach different aims because polyphenols or in general secondary plant extracts in the rumen can have different effects and we do not always know what will happen there. Okay. Uh so were you doing liver biopsies uh, in these cows then to, to look at uh, liver fat levels? We did so, yeah. We measured, uh, besides the milk samples, we measured as well blood samples and liver biopsies. Okay, interesting. Uh, so, uh, from having spent many years uh, working in China, I know uh, green tea supplements, especially in encapsulated form and, and so forth, and concentrates are, are very popular. Um, so, maybe you should cons consider uh, uh, 
taking some of those uh, those supplements. <laughs> um, what, what do you think some of the application is for maybe in in other classes of, of dairy animals such as calves? Um, you know, I guess with more and more pressure for antimicrobial stewardship and and you know reduced um, treatments with an, uh, antibiotics. Calf health, obviously. Do, do you see any potential application, or, or did you investigate at all any any uh, use in calves? You mean for the for the sugar product on general from our portfolio? For the, the green tea, green tea supplement, I guess, in terms of uh, and any uh, support uh, of the calf. I guess it would be beneficial in general to use special secondary um, plant extracts in calves. Um, because, uh, for example, some some yeah some herbals are also known to be beneficial for the lungs of the calf, so that they don't have any respiratory diseases. And um, as well, there are some herbals that can be effective for for the gut, so that you can avoid diarrhea in calves. Which I guess those two are the, the most um, common uh, diseases in calves. So the respiratory tract and as well the gut health. Um, but I guess it's not only possible with this plant extract because I know from our portfolio we have also some medium chain fatty acids or um, monolauric acid that is effective in monogastric animals already in gut health that is proven. And uh, I guess this could also be a point that we can uh, yeah, can proceed in the future to have some products like this. Okay. You mentioned when we were uh, catching up before the podcast that uh, your PhD uh, was also in in human nutrition. Correct? You you did a was it a joint uh, uh, program or? Um, no, my PhD was just in in the dairy cow in transition period. Um, but my studying, I started um, after school. I started nutrition of, for humans. So it was um, yeah, like. Um, yeah, biochemicals like anatomy, physiologically, um, but this is all in human. So this was my bachelor, my my crown study, and um, after this, I changed to agriculture because I noticed for myself that human nutrition is something interesting, but it's not what I wanted to do my whole life. And um, I'm coming from the countryside, and I'm yeah, my hobby is, for example. Um, riding horses or driving carriage and I knew that yeah, a lot of my neighbors are having swines and as well dairy cows or beef cattle this is something yeah which is not work for me it's more yeah like lifestyle or a hobby and it was very great to change then in during my studying from human nutrition to livestock nutrition because it was yeah, like a more easier atmosphere at all and um so, uh, yeah, I sticked them to the animal nutrition and now in the agriculture science. Okay. Th- that's very interesting. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I guess it's it's something where you can do a lot. So, in the end, you're also uh, supporting the, the feed for the humans, uh, uh, the food for the humans, sorry. Um, but I would say um, it's something where you really can change something. Because the farmer is having a look on the diets, not only on economical ways, but also on the health and the performance of the cows. And he's really, for example, calculating those diets with AMTS or NDS. So it's nothing that he's just doing like he wants to do. So it's really a scientific agriculture. 
Uh, that's a really interesting aspect, Karina. And uh, I guess as you think about that, you know, uh, it's really interesting of your background because you are working in an area to produce uh, food for humans. So you kind of the, the full circle of, of studying human nutrition and then improving the the in this case, the, you know, uh, as we talk the the dairy the dairy podcast, so the dairy products, but that includes obviously meat. Every good dairy cow hopefully becomes a, a, a meat at some point uh, in her career. Uh, so I guess as you relate your, your past background in humans and, and, and ruminant nutrition, what are some of the, the key basic indicators? Obviously, um, you know, nutrition drives everything. Uh, many years ago, I probably like 25 years ago when I first started feeding, um, some, some cows in it or some herds, uh, as a veterinarian, uh, there were some nutritionists who, pushed back a little bit and said, why is the veterinarian interested in nutrition? And my reply to this day is name for me a disease of economic importance in the dairy cow that is not related to nutrition. And I think we're pretty hard pressed, you know, mastitis even, and, and, and maybe pneumonia is a little bit of a stretch, but you know, obviously immune status and transition and so forth. So I guess with that premise, uh, you know, what disease is of importance that's not related to nutrition, and then your 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 studies, your your knowledge and uh, and experience from human nutrition. Yeah, what are, what are some key concepts of bringing that all together? I guess. Yeah, I guess it's um, besides the management of a dairy farm, it's as, as you said, the nutrition that is very important. So to see what can we offer the cow, so what is, yeah, what can we have in the area what can we harvest for them or what can we can we get for a diet that is a high quality diet so that the cow is healthy the cow can performs very well because an unhealthy cow will not take in that much dry matter she will not walk to the milking pallor she will not lay down for rumination so the cow has to be healthy to bring this performance and for this the um the dry matter at a the diet is very important and if we are having a good quality here and a good management and the cow is happy and can perform very well then we also will have a good product in the end so a good milk that we can then have for the human nutrition i guess this is yeah as you said one cycle so we have to to start at the ground and then going to different levels so that we can produce in the end very healthy and good products and as Bergenschmidt is belonging to the Stan group, we are living exactly that way of thinking. So we have experts in optimize the feed for the animals, but we also have the experts in the field of the food to get the best out of the animal-based products for the human nutrition. So um, as you look to the future um, in terms of, especially with your uh, products uh, with Bergenschmidt, um, you know, we have very different uh, markets in different areas of the world. Uh, as we chatted a little bit beforehand here in, in, in Mexico, um, at least right now, there isn't a, a premium to produce milk of uh, higher components, really. Um, you know, there's some, some benefits, but really it's a minimum. Uh, that wouldn't be acceptable, for instance, in, in markets like the U.S., where we're trying to, in most cases, maximize component production. I guess, where do you see your role and your company's role in manipulating the cow diet to 
there to produce products that fit a certain niche, i.e., you know, a, a lower fat milk uh, uh, products for cheese, for ice cream, some specialty products. Have you have you thought much about that aspect as it relates to human nutrition? I would say um, it's very or it's very important that we can have a wide portfolio to reach everyone's uh, demands. So, as you said, we have some areas where the milk solids are very important, some others where it's just a milk yield and not a solid. Then we have areas where heat stress is the biggest problem. We have herds where we have more problems in fertility. So, yes, for us, it's, of course, also important to produce good milk and good meat um, but as well the the health and the performance of the cow itself is very important for us so I would say in future we should have a look on the different markets like we did in the past as I said I was traveling a lot to to get connected to the different dairy systems in the world and to to give them the opportunities to to grow and to be efficient in what they are doing so that they can have a good farm management and a good productivity um, to uh, yeah to offer this to the human nutrition later on. Excellent. Yeah, I think that that's uh, some interesting um, opportunities for, for the future um, as you relate the, you know, the end product for the, for the consumer. Uh, I know also in uh, interest to you is obviously feed quality and analysis and, and maybe a little bit of your experience there. I, I look back again uh, when I first started in, in, in dairy nutrition of the, um, the report that we'd get from a forage analysis, you know, it was pretty basic and small, you know, crude protein, starch, fat, sugar, you know, there weren't all the various, uh, components that we have today, ADF, NDF, obviously, you know, and, and now look at what we have uh, in terms of the different components and digestibilities and so forth. So, uh, as you talk about how you use feed analyses in, in your role, but where do you see maybe what's the next parameter that's going to hit the industry, if you will, you know, as, as, as we add another, uh, analytic tests that we can do on, on a forage sample, where, where do you think we're maybe missing something or an opportunity where, gee, if we had that number, we could plug that into AMTS, NDS, and better predict component yield, better predict uh, production, what have you? I guess what we already have is very important and should be done by more farms because not every farm is doing feed analyzings. And um, the NDF is very important to see how much fiber the cow has in the rumen and as well that we are not calculating on protein but on amino acids so that we can balance the, the limitations of methionine, lysine, histidine and I know that also leucine is now the next one. So I guess we are getting there closer and closer to the optimal ration. Um, and the next thing that I see um, also from, from our product development um, is the fatty acid composition. So we are having now a look of uh, our burger fats. So in the past, we have our T300. So we came from a triglyceride. Then we developed a fractionated fat with high palmitic acid. We even fractionated more to 99% palmitic acid. So we were here having a look on 
which fatty acid fits most for the demands of the of the dairy cow for improvement in milk performance, especially milk fat yield. But we are now coming also back to to problems like fertility. And we want to improve this as well. And this is nothing that we can reach only with palmitic acid. So we need here to change a bit of fatty acid profile. This is something that we are doing at the moment. And this should also be something that should be keep in mind if you're calculating with a feeding system that you can not only balance on amino acid, but as well on fatty acids that you can see, okay, how can I improve the fertility in my herd? Or do I need more of of a special fatty acid to improve the milk yield. So a bit to balance the, the problems of the, or not the, the problems, so to balance the diet to to avoid such problems like um, yeah, loss of milk yield or, or a bad fertility in the herd. Okay. No, that, make, that makes perfect sense. I guess we just keep getting, uh, if you will, to the, to the, uh, smaller and smaller molecules if you will right you know from from where we started uh, uh crude protein to to obviously amino acid balancing but not just fats but 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 uh fatty acids and i guess you could say the same for sugars and you know sugars as a as a general category or what classes of of sugars so uh oh, that's really interesting and, and look look forward to you know as future developments and in, in forage analyses and and the opportunity to to analyze uh these uh, components and in, in, in feeds and feed stuff and then also i guess the ease of doing so right as uh you know some of these maybe now require wet chemistry where where they'll be available on uh, nir type platforms or you know even on farm correct yeah yeah it has to be easy so it's not uh, possible to or and also have to be um simple explained to everyone so it is not the aim i guess to have more and more values and nobody knows in the forest of values what value is important so it has still to be easy and i guess that's a bit uh, the challenge from the scientific part to getting on the on the farm part um to to make all these stuff that we do in research for example you asked me for my phd mr green tea extract uh, i worked on on cell stress a lot of different parameters and gene expressions and um, i guess this is something that n- not a farmer knows so it's important that if we are doing such research and want to to know more and more about the diet and also the performance in the cow we have to keep it simple again that we can have the profit out of it and and as as we all know well connected to this podcast is um you know there there's not much use in balancing down to the amino acid level or the fatty acid level if if the cows don't have feed in front of them or they don't have cow cooling or they they don't have time to rest right so i i think always keeping like you said very very early on the whole management strategy in mind we, we can we can balance the perfect ration but don't forget all the basics uh, first, right? That's going to be more important. And there's going to be obviously herds that can utilize these technologies or or balance down to those levels. And there's herds that just need to get, you know, get the daily tasks done um, before they worry about those uh, micro details, if you will. Yeah, I agree. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, So Karina, um, uh, really great to to get some of your insight and learn more about your your research, what you're doing now, your your your, uh, your role within Bergen Schmidt, and and uh, especially the the new product development. 
Um, it's always exciting to see companies that invest in research, invest in product development, have the data available, uh, you know, before going to market, obviously, and and uh, can therefore in- introduce new products, uh, new concepts into the industry. So um, it, it's great to see see that coming from you and your team. It's time for our famous three. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Adiseo USA, producers of SmartMIMM and MilkPay.com. Xzealot, a novel product for the management of hypocalcemia. It's uncomplicated excellence. SmaxTech, get insights from inside your cows with SmaxTech for higher herd health and profitability. Yeast 40 ruminal and intestinal double modulation by ICC Animal Nutrition. Ivonic Animal Nutrition, we are sciencing the global food challenge. Our Yeast 40 is a natural biotechnology from ICC designed to boost the health and productivity of animals under challenging production systems. Our Yeast 40 performance is supported by an unique processing technology that results in a pure product containing high levels of beta-glucans, MOS, and yeast metabolites. These factors, combined, promote the ruminal and intestinal modulation, helping the animals to reach their full potential. As we wrap up here, a few of the dairy podcast traditional questions. Uh, one, I guess, is you know, within your studies, within your day-to-day work, is there some reference that uh, you really recommend to the uh, listeners in terms of uh, dairy information? So that can be a website, a book, uh, something, uh, you know, journal that is kind of your go-to for what's, what's new and what's coming in, in, in dairy. So I would say the most thing where I'm checking is really the recommendations to, because there are the basic stuff again. So having a look in the, in the research, like, um, yeah, like PubMed, but also going back to some basic stuff to understand what, what they are doing i guess this is something very important okay so really understanding the the research and the data and and the basis for that as you uh as you work with dairy producers and obviously you're getting to see uh different types of systems and management and and dairy uh industries uh around the globe you know what what do you feel are some of the things that really separate the excellent producer from maybe the average producer I would say it's management. So I really saw farms in a heat stress or in in an area with a lot of heat stress and the feed quality was excellent. The the cow performance was great. The cows were healthy. Um, They looked very good. And uh, I was very surprised how, how this can be in such an area. But it is very well managed with the feed quality, the feeding management, um, how the the boxes are, where they can lay down, how the evaporation and the fans are used. So I would say management is something that makes the difference. Okay, excellent. Karina, I find it interesting. I think you've said the word heat stress, I'm not sure, maybe five times now. Um, so you, you come from Germany, you're in Germany. Um, we know that heat stress exists there. I, I had someone ask me the other day, originally I'm from Northern New York, you know, is there heat stress in Northern New York? Well, you know, when it's 90 degrees and 95% humidity or, you know, in, in the high 30 Celsius and 95% humidity, there's obviously heat stress. 
I'm, I'm here in Torreon, Mexico, where, where we'll have heat stress through October. Um, I guess, you know, that's an area that uh, I think if you look where a lot of cows are around the world uh, in, in all the continents, interestingly, there are a lot of cows, uh, dairy cows in, in heat stress regions of the U.S., of, of China, uh, you know, Asia, throughout Asia, and then obviously, you know, Mexico, South America. So, um, I guess just getting back to that, obviously, the products that, that you're working on uh, are designed to provide nutrients to the cow in, in, in a smaller package, if you will, or, or maybe less fermentable, more more directly utilizable. Um, so, I guess exciting because we, we think of heat stress lots. Obviously, uh, some of the podcasts here, Jeffrey Dahl and, and you know, heat stress in in, um, in and dry cows and close-up cows and so forth. So um, I guess just something that it, it stood out that you mentioned heat stress quite a few times. So that certainly is super relevant for, for many regions, maybe listening to this folks are looking towards the end of heat stress as we get into September and in, in Northern regions, uh, you know, the nights are going to be pretty cool and maybe even some frost coming in the next weeks. Um, but still lots of regions are still thinking of, of heat stress. Um, and just to add, I, I saw a news alert yesterday, you know, cattle dying in Missouri, I think it was um, due to heat stress. So um, interesting that you brought that up, uh, you know, many times. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a, a very relevant topic, Sue, and it's something that will come year by year back. So it's nothing that we just have this year. And as you said, we have a lot of regions that are dealing with those topics uh, or with this topic. And um, I guess we have to to, yeah, so to support here the cows so we have to to keep an eye here that they yeah that they are keeping cool and get their performance and health agree and i like your comment it, it, it's going to be here it's not going to go away so maybe it's too late now to do something very different for some of our listeners but next year is going to come so a perfect time to really you have months and months now to prepare for next year um, whether that's you know management uh, you know, cow cooling op, uh, opportunities or or nutritional opportunities, which I think oftentimes are are not thought of as much, right? What can we do nutritionally uh, in terms of reducing the effect of heat stress, not just cow cooling and all the things that, that come to mind first? We can avoid fermentation heat, for example. So if the cow is eating a lot of fiber, this will be fermented in the rumen and will produce heat as a side product. And if we are feeding more products that will not be fermented, like, for example, the rumen bypass fats, like our burger fat, this will not have an, an impact on on more heat development. And um, we can also support her with such burger fat or also lipoactive, this is our encapsulated sugar, to get more energy in the cow. Because in times of heat stress, the cow has a lower dry matter intake. And this is also something where we can help and uh, another thing is in, in heat stress that uh, the immune response is also active. So we can also here um, help the cow with more glucose available for the immune system. And we can also help the cow with methionine because this is also having a good impact on the whole organism. So there are some ingredients or some, some feed material that can help the cow in this period of, uh, yeah, of heat stress. Excellent. It sounds it sounds like a perhaps another podcast uh, 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 another podcast opportunity with you uh, 
to uh, as we maybe get into the uh, pre-heat stress season to talk about nutritional uh, management strategies for heat stress. <laughs> Would be a pleasure to me. <laughs> great, great. Well, uh, Karina, thanks so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure to get to to know you, to learn about your background and, and some of the work you're doing, and and learn more, more about uh, Bergen Schmidt also. Um, and, and you know, not only the products that you have, but uh, some of the innovation that you have with with your colleagues in the company. Um, so really appreciate uh, you connecting a little bit later in the day for you. And uh, we'll uh, look forward to uh, seeing you at some point and, and chatting more about some of these uh, other opportunities for the future. Would be great. Uh, thanks uh, for inviting me again and uh, for having the chance to present what we are doing in, in research so that we are having a yeah, scientific background of our products. Very welcome. And everybody, thanks again for uh, joining the Dairy Podcast Show. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wise Minutes, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.